invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. One of the things that surprises me uh, every year a little bit is that I never get tired of preaching uh, on uh, Christmas service sermons. Uh, you think that after year after year preaching the same story, um, it, would, it would maybe get a little old. It never does. It gets more enjoyable every year. And maybe that's um, both because of the increasing sort of disillusionment with American Christmas uh, the boys and girls, I just, um, I'm going uh, to tell you something that's true. Um, you might not thank me for it, but uh, you're going to be disillusioned this Christmas. <clears throat> uh, you're going to open your presents, and um, it won't be exactly what you were hoping for, or even if it was exactly what you were hoping for, it'll probably be broken by the afternoon, or um, by this time next year, you'll have a hard time remembering what it was. Um, it's going to be a great Christmas, but it, but uh, it, it's going to, there's going to be some disillusionment in it, boys and girls, and that's because uh, we weren't made for, uh, gifts are great, but gifts aren't life. And so what we have this morning is the, the, the one core truth of Christmas that will never disillusion you. And uh, every real joy that happens uh, at Christmas time is, is a, 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 comes out of this fountain. Uh, the fountain of, of life and light that we have in Jesus Christ. And so um, we come to the touchstone of joy this morning. Let's uh, give our attention to God's word, John chapter 1. We'll read the first five verses. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord, now we come before this beautiful message, this gospel message, this good news, and we pray that you would give us eyes to see Lord, may the light of, uh, of your goodness and glory shine upon us, and uh, Lord, may our hearts receive it with joy and gladness today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever attempted to write something, maybe a letter, maybe an email, maybe um, a paper for, for class, uh, you know that the most difficult sentence to write is the first sentence. Uh, so much depends on the first sentence. And of all the books in the Bible, I think that John's Gospel has the very best first sentence of, of all the books in the Bible. Uh, you might disagree, that's okay, but this is hard to beat. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mic drop. That's a great beginning. Uh, we know immediately that this book is not about trivial things. We, we instantly recognize that we're in the presence of eternal things, awesome things, things that are mysterious in the uh, eternal counsel and being of God, things that will make us tremble if we let the weight of them truly settle on us. In the beginning, before there was time, just let your mind stretch a little. Before there was a world, before there were stars, before there were angels, before there was anything outside of God himself, 
There was God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect, unblemished joy and a boundless glory. In the beginning, there was God. And that's where John brings us as he begins his gospel. He's borrowing, of course, uh, from the language of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John wants us to see that um, the God spoken of there in Genesis 1, that very God, is promised in Christ and is bringing in Christ a new beginning, a gospel beginning, a new creation. The message, the staggering message of this gospel, this good news, is that the voice that spoke into the darkness of the abyss in Genesis 1 and called forth light and life and a universe by the word of his mouth, it, that very um, voice has now spoken, but uh, it, it is a person, a lo- the Logos, the word of God in flesh. God himself, the speaker, the creator, has entered the universe, the darkness, the abyss of this world. And he's entered intentionally to bring light and life to sinners. God who is light and dwells in unapproachable light, that God who could have justly kept the glory of his light to himself, he gave his only son. He invaded the darkness of a Bethlehem night and the darkness of a world lost in sin in in a little babe. The word, God, became flesh. It's an unbelievable message. And this morning we're going to just see who Jesus is and what Jesus brings, what Jesus gives to this lost, dark world. But we have to start with who Jesus is. That's where John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John comes right up front and uh, with his conviction with this really incredible statement that the little baby that was born in Bethlehem was God. Now, I know that is not a new thought to you. If you've been born and raised in the church, you've heard that uh, countless times. But when is the last time you just took the time to reflect on it? To let the, let the truth of that sort of settle upon you so that you, you have an experiential sense of wonder and awe and maybe a little, a little a trembling. Trembling's okay. God says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is lowly, contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Because you see, there's a crushing weight to the reality of God, to the, the holiness of God so brilliant in its purity and glory that that perfect sinless angels can't look on it but cover their faces as they worship. It is appropriate to to tremble under a, a sense of the reality of his justice and righteousness and wrath against all that is evil. Does that God still exist for you? I was listening this past week to a uh, really terrific message by Francis Chan, uh, delivered this just, uh, I believe, in November, maybe October, but this fall, to the um, students at Azusa Pacific University. 
And Francis Chan says, this is the last time I'll be speaking here at this chapel. He's, he, he says, I've been here every year for, I think, the last 25 years. But he's leaving, going to Myanmar to be, uh, to be a missionary. And so he says, this is the last time I'll speak at this chapel. But, and there's something I need to tell you. He says, I need to tell you that in the last 20 years, things have changed here. That when I came here 20 years ago, the Word of God was here. It was the absolute, ultimate, unquestioned authority for life and practice here at APU. But I've watched over the last 20 years as something else has begun to gain ascendance. And so now we're talking more and more about what people think and, and how people feel and what scholars say. And as that has ascended, the authority of the word has decreased. And so we apologize now, uh, or, or at least give a sense that we're somewhat embarrassed by some of the things that we find in Scripture. We don't, we don't want to offend people. And Chan is like, how can you not read the Bible? How can you read the Bible and not be offended? It's meant to offend you. It's intended to bring you face to face with the reality of God. And he says, and there too I've seen a change as we've slowly crafted God into a more manageable being, less terrifying, more understanding, a God more comfortable with human failings, more um, open to what we think and, and how we feel. And he, he said, I just need to remind you that every time in Scripture that someone actually meets or comes into the presence of God, they're terrified. And so we have scholars who say, well, fear, the fear of the Lord doesn't really mean fear. He says, well, you, you, you should tell the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. When God appears in thunder and fire and smoke and, and everything is quaking and the, the people say, we're not going there. They're terrified. Moses, you go. We're not going to go. Now you might think, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament is much kinder, much gentler, much more approachable. Well, <laughs> if you remember in the book of Revelation that we've uh, we're just about done. Uh, in chapter 1, John the Apostle meets Jesus. And John maybe was more intimately related to Je with Jesus than any of the apostles. Maybe was closest to Jesus. Walked with him, talked with him, slept and, and, and ate and did ministry and, and saw the glory of Jesus. And yet when John in Revelation chapter 1 sees Jesus with his eyes like blazing fire... He says, I fell down at his feet as though dead. It's the same Jesus. Jesus, you see, is God. And as God, there is something terrifying about Jesus. This is the Jesus, remember, who judged the world of Noah's day, killing every living thing, man, woman, child, beast, bird, everything that was not in the ark. Jesus did the flood. This is the Jesus who devastated the superpower of the day, Egypt, by sending terrible plagues, and, and many things died, and, and, and including, at the end, every firstborn 
in every household, and this is of, of man and beast, every household that did not have the blood, there was death. Jesus did that. Jesus drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Jesus sent Joshua and the people into the land of Canaan, uh, committing everything to destruction, devoted to destruction. That means that every man, woman, child, and beast was put to death. In Jericho, in Ai, city after city. Jesus commanded Joshua to do that. I know that's offensive to some people. There's something about that that, that just goes against the grain of what we think, how we think maybe it ought to be. But it is there to remind us, you see, the truth of God and the truth of sin and the truth of judgment and that Jesus never apologizes for any of his righteous judgments upon men. He never apologizes. This is the Christ of Scripture. This is who Jesus is as God. And it is, you see, the, the wonder of the gospel is, is that it is that very Christ, that very uh, second person of the Trinity who's entered a world under judgment in order to deliver the world from judgment by taking the death of divine justice upon himself. Jesus is secondly creator of all things. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the glorious architect of the whole universe, the designer and builder of all things. All, everything that is seen and unseen, everything that is not God exists by the word of the power, uh, by the power of the word of Jesus Christ. And it all exists according to his will and his design and his purpose. Boys and girls, I think you, I'm sure you know the song, God made me and everything that in this world I see. For his own glory, God made everything and me. Jesus did. Now, why does that matter? Why does John introduce that here? Well, John obviously wants us to see the glory of Christ as the creator of all things. But John is also establishing immediately the authority of Christ. That Jesus, you see, has the right to speak into the lives of, uh, of, of John's audience. John is a pastor in Ephesus. He's in a very dark place. And he tells us in chapter 20, verse 31, that these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, the, the, the common question the world would ask is, well, who is this Jesus and what right does he have to speak into my life? What right does he have to tell me that I'm wrong? What right does he have to say that I, I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't do that, or I must do this? Who does he think he is? John's answering that question right up, right up front. He's God, uh, and he made you. That means that he's the the potter, and you are the clay. And the potter has absolute authority and right to do with the clay as he chooses. 
and to, and, and to uh, create the clay for his own purposes and to call the clay then to obedience to those purposes. This is the truth of the gospel. There is a God and there is a king and he has, he has all authority to speak into our world and in, into our lives by virtue of who he is and what he's done, he's made you. And the moment he removes his hand, you will disappear. You see, these are, these are really, really immense, awesome things that John is telling to us. And it's, it's only as we begin to grasp the the severity, in the, in, in the best sense of that word, but the deep severity and truth and, and glory and, and holy terror of Jesus as God, God of God, light of light, when we, when we sense the glory of Jesus as God, then we begin to sense the glory of his birth into this world in human form for the salvation of clay. Sinful clay. That's, that's the staggering truth of Christmas. John wants us to see who Jesus is and what Jesus gives, what Jesus brings. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In him was life. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing statement. He's not saying Jesus was alive. Jesus is Life, all capital letters. He contains within himself the principle, the fountain of life in its truest, deepest, most eternal and pure form. And no one else can claim this, right? So, so Jesus, of all the children of men, no one else gets to claim this. Adam and Eve have life. They're given life. But but they don't have life in them. They're not a fountain of life. And it's true of all their children as well. Adam and Eve brought death into the world so that the truth about us is that every man and woman and child, every, every person is, uh, contains within themselves the principle of death. We start dying the moment we're born. We, we, uh, we carry mortality in the marrow of our bones. But there's one who's unlike every other child of Adam and Eve, Truly man, born of woman, and yet in him was life. Uh, there are three different Greek words uh, that can be translated as life. There is bios, from which we get the word biology, refers primarily to physical life. Uh, there's suke, which refers maybe to emotional soul life. We get the word psychology from that. And then there's zoe. Zoe refers uh, in John's letter to the uncreated eternal life of God. Uh, this, this life that, that God uh, uniquely has in himself and that God gives. What John wants us to see, you see, that, that just as the Father has life in himself, this is John chapter 5, Jesus speaking, 
Just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. So that Jesus is not just alive, Jesus is the fountain of life. And Jesus says that in John chapter 5, 24. This is what Jesus has come to give. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has Zoe, eternal Zoe, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to Zoe, death to life. Everlasting life, life in communion with God, life that flows from God. Remember the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God in the, in the new heaven and the new earth. And, and, the, and the trees along the, the way, they, they take in that water of life and the nations eat the fruit of life. Everlasting life in communion with God. That's what Jesus came to give. And friends, this is, what, this is what men and women and boys and girls need all around us. There are men and women and boys and girls who have, they have life, biological life, suke life. But they don't, have, they don't have this life. They don't have everlasting life, the life that, is, that, that comes from God and is, is about communion with God, peace with God, the righteousness of God. Dwelling in the, in the light of the favor of God now and forever. That's, they, they don't have that. And it, it's, the most, it's the most awful thing to lack. Because it means that, that we move, right, the, the Bible will say, uh, if he be not truly wise, man is like the beast that dies. Here today, gone tomorrow. And then into eternity without Christ. An eternity of hell. What they need, you see, is life. And the only person that can give them life is this Jesus. This is why we're called as the church, as, as the followers of Jesus Christ, to engage in the gospel mission. When we talk to people about Jesus, we're not trying to convince them that we're right. We're not trying to um, bring them into a, a different religion. If you go into the conversation with that in mind... Uh, you're not going to get anywhere, even if you manage to convince the person of some things. What we, what we have to be clear about is the reason we have conversations is because people are dead without God, without Christ, and eternity is coming, and we want them to experience life. And we can't give it to them, and we can't argue them into it. But we can talk to them, we can invite them, and we can share with them who Jesus is and why Jesus came. He did not come to establish a religion. He came to make everything new. And he invites people today to enter into the wonder and the glory of life. That life was the light of men. See, John, is, John wants us to see the wonder of the life of Jesus Christ as it is, it is applied to, to people, to men and women and boys and girls, that life is experienced as light. Light shining in the darkness. That's what, exactly what he says. The light shines in the darkness. Present tense. Not shown a long time ago. The light shines. John is writing this after Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's writing this, as I said, the pastor of a church in Ephesus. An incredibly dark place. And yet as John 
uh, proclaimed this good news about Jesus, John saw light shining and light piercing darkness and people who were completely blind to the glory of God and the truth of their need suddenly beginning to see and light is breaking in and they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. John has witnessed the light both in person and in its powerful action as the gospel is being proclaimed. And friends, that light is still shining today. As we, as we, as we proclaim and witness to the truth, and as we hear and, and receive the truth, you see, then we receive the light of God shining into our lives and into our relationships, and, and, and the light of God then, then being shared with people around us who, who are in the darkness. And John writes here that the, the light is shining and the darkness has not overcome it. There's some confu- a little bit of confusion here. What exactly is, is John trying to communicate? Uh, the word that's translated here as overcome uh, literally means to grasp or take hold of. Uh, and, and, and I think you can use the word grasp both in the terms of it can't, it can't quite get it, but it also can't grasp it to defeat it. And we, I don't think we'd be wrong to take both. But, but, but John wants us to see that as the light engages the darkness, it meets opposition. It meets opposition because people are, they're in the darkness for a reason and they like it that way. The Bible gives us several reasons why people are in darkness. One reason people are in darkness is that uh, the devil is at work. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so the gospel is preached and and talked about and sung and and people maybe pick up a Bible or or a a Christian book of some sort and and they hear the message and yet the God of this age blinds their eyes. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem credible. It doesn't seem desirable. And you've met people, and I, I know I have. I've met people who said, I read the Bible. I met a man who said, I read the Bible five times. It's interesting. I don't believe it. What he's about is Money and career and relationships and family. But he's not, about, he's not about Jesus. Doesn't see it. Why not? The God of this age has blinded the eyes of, of, of people, of unbelievers. But there's another reason that people can't see, and that's because they don't want to see. John, Jesus says in John 3.19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I've heard honest testimonies of unbelievers who say, I don't want to believe this because if I believe this, I have to change my lifestyle. I like my lifestyle. I like it a lot. I like the darkness. At, I feel at home in the darkness. Don't want to see. And, and this is not unusual. This is, this is the case with every natural born person. And so you see, when the light comes, it meets opposition, demonic opposition and personal um, opposition. 
And it keeps people from seeing. And so you might say, well, what good is light if people can't see it? If the devil has blinded people, and if people like to to be blinded, if people don't want to see the glory of God so that they can't see the glory of of Jesus Christ, they can't see the light, well then, I mean, okay, the light is shown. Everybody's blind. What good is it? You can bring a blind person into, right, I don't care how many watts of light you've got shining in their eyes, they can't see it. But see, the glory of the gospel is that when Jesus comes as the light, he gives power to sinners to see the light. He breaks the bondage of the devil. And he opens the eyes of blind sinners. One of the greatest illustrations of that is in John chapter 9 when Jesus meets a man born blind. All of his life he's been blind. Never, never once saw a morning as beautiful as this morning. Doesn't understand the concept of colors. Light is just a word to him. He's never seen it until he meets Jesus and Jesus um, creates some mud and puts it in his eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and the man does. And can you imagine when, when he, he comes up and he, he wipes his eyes? Light and shapes and colors he never imagined. And it was all there immediately. He could see and the Pharisees come to him, and they're upset because they don't want to admit that there's been a miracle. And, and so, they, so they say to the man, who healed you? And he says, well, Jesus did. Well, that can't be because we know that this man is a sinner. And the, and the, the formerly blind man says, well, I don't know anything about that. One thing I know. I once was blind, but now I see. It's all I know. And Jesus did it. That's the story of a Christian. One thing I know, I once was blind as a bat, and sin looked good to me, and self seemed to be the most important thing, and I wanted everything that every other person in this world wants. God, I had no concern for God. I had no, uh, I felt bad about some of the things I did, but no sense of conviction, no sense of judgment, no sense of my great need. And then Jesus came by his spirit and by his word. And suddenly I I began to realize that there is a God and he made me and I'm responsible and answerable to him. And this God requires of me obedience, perfect obedience. He requires it. And this God spoke very clearly that if I was not able to provide perfect obedience on the day of judgment, I would be justly sent into everlasting hell. But Jesus, who was opening my eyes, then helped me to see that he came to be my substitute, that he came to live the life I could never live and came to die the death that I deserved so that by believing in him, I could have forgiveness and I could be reconciled with God. And the light and the life of the gospel flowed into my life the hour I first believed. Friends, that's that's why Jesus came. John 12, verse 46. I have come into this world as light, Jesus says, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 
John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's why he came. The question is, have you received that life and that light? God himself has invaded this world to bring everlasting life and glorious light in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came for sinners. Has he come and shown that life and light in your life, to you? Do you, do you have you seen it? And, and, and if you haven't, you can. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has not spoken in vain in Jesus Christ. He did not in vain say, come and be saved. Those words are vibrating with all the power, the saving ability of God. And if you, this morning, are willing to take Jesus at his word about who he is and his right over you, his authority over you, and his ability to rescue you, to make you right with God, to shine all the glory of his life and his light into your life. If you're willing to submit to that, to receive that, to believe that by his power, Jesus wants you to know that you will be saved. That's why he came, friends, to rescue us. And maybe you've believed that all your life, but this morning you've forgotten the truth of it. And this morning, Jesus just reminds you again then through his gospel of who he is, his right, his authority, but his love, his willingness to continue to shine his light as you continue to ask and you continue to receive. And one day, brothers and sisters, this very Jesus is coming again. And one day, nothing but light and nothing but life in his presence forever. May that be true of every single one of us here this morning. Amen. <clears throat> oh God in heaven, I thank you so much for Jesus, the Son of God, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, and by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our transgressions was made man, born of Mary, and came into this world to save sinners like us. Oh Lord, I pray that this morning your word by the power of the Spirit would impact our lives. If we've never believed before, if we've never seen the light of the beauty of Jesus, oh God, I pray that today you would open eyes. And Lord, maybe we, we have believed, but we've gotten confused and our eyes have been focused on other things. And the cares of this life has crowded out our joy. And Jesus, we pray that today again, shine your light, shine your truth, that we might be restored and revived, that we might remember the eternal things that are true for us in Christ. And one day we will see him and enter with him into everlasting light and life. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Let's respond, confessing our faith together as surely as the dawn.
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Receive the blessing of your Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the countenance of his face upon you and give you his peace. Amen.